business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. On the Zoom with me is uh, Pierre Muller, who's advisory partner at Citadel. Pierre, welcome to High FM. Thanks, Davi. Hello, everyone. Hi, right. Pierre, you've written this, you've written this beautiful article about Ponzi schemes, about the way the whole mechanism works. Before we get into it, I just actually want to read for our listeners the opening line of, of your release. And you wrote here on the 19th of April, 2021, just pause to consider the following headline run on the venerable, in the venerable Financial Times in November 2020. And you open the Burton breakfast. Investors lose £657 million to fraud. That's just in 12 months in September 2020, up to 28% of the year before. Even before the full impact of COVID-19 was felt on the global economy, CNBC reported that in 2019, authorities in the United States had uncovered 60 alleged Ponzi schemes. In total, this equates to 3.25 billion of investor funds, and that's in US dollars. So what I've done is I've gone and, and put in to XE currency converter, 657 million pounds. It's 13.1 billion rand in a year. It's, it's wow. absolutely staggering. And that's all based on greed. Am I right? Yeah, totally. You know, and it's, um, I think firstly, uh, perhaps, you know, perhaps start off just by saying, I guess there's, there's sort of a, I think understandable part in terms of the temptation. I think, as you opened up, um, I think it's, uh, it's naturally been tough times. Um, after, after COVID, uh, people might have lost uh, jobs. They might be battling financially. Uh, so many businesses uh, battling and battling with cash flow. Um, and also against the backdrop, I mean, yes, we've seen a nice rebound in the markets uh, after COVID. But over the longer run, and especially in South Africa, you know, uh, investment, investors might feel uh, shocking that my investments, you know, haven't performed as well in the past. The markets have been fairly flat. And it does create this temptation to see, see where can I get something that's more exciting, that, that grows a little bit, bit faster. So I, th- I think it's just a combination of a couple of things. I think, you know, uh, people are battling. Uh, after COVID, um, naturally in the U.S., there's been money money printed, you know, at a, at a staggering rate. So people are sitting with some of that cash, uh, and then also against this backdrop of man, I'm looking for something exciting. I just want my portfolio to grow faster, um, and 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 very natural, I guess, to be tempted uh, to dip our toe into something that's not necessarily regulated or um, uh, or such a good decision. And we'll probably discuss some of these as we go along. Yeah, Pierre, interesting two things you said there. Number one, you said not regulated. So funny the stuff, this morning I received an email with a list of companies that are trading in South Africa as financial services companies that are not regulated. And that yeah. was put up by the financial regulator, which I've never seen before. The actual name and shame people. So please yeah. absolutely warn anybody out there, if you're investing money, please make sure that you're with a registered financial service provider. And it's easy to check. And um, the first thing you need to do is just ask them for their license. And if they can't produce yeah. it immediately, then you've got a problem. But you're almost basically bulletproof if you go with the people that we all know, all the banks, yeah. all the big insurance companies. Um, those are people that obviously had licenses. 
Um, yeah. Pierre, the other thing that uh, that we really need to think about is, you know, the idea of getting return that's going to make your portfolio exciting. Um, those of us who've been in the, uh, the asset wealth management business for the last couple of years, um, the word fussbait has almost lost its meaning altogether. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. every time you speak to clients, you say, just wait, it's not time in the market, it's time in the market. And the client says, well, do I actually have to like, wait 20 years to get returns? And then yeah. all of a sudden this year, it just blossomed. It was stagnant for four years and now we've all suddenly pulled through. And if you're not prepared to do that, um, then you can always look for more um, for less um, aggressive um, investment portfolios that are going to give you more stable returns. But then am I right in saying less, the less potential risk the less the potential return. Does that make sense? Also? Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point to sort of, sort of you know start off. I guess the rest of the conversation because everything really boils down around understanding uh, the different asset classes that actually produces the returns. And I think once we uh, once we understand that, you know, then all of these other things of fraud and guarantee guaranteed returns and in exorbitant returns, all of those things, you know, start to make a little bit more sense. So let's, let's just spend a moment on that. Um, you know, I agree with that. So maybe just a reminder, um, for, for those of the listeners who is familiar with it, um, there's really sort of a finite amount of uh, traditional asset classes in which an investor or even a investor on your behalf or an advisor can invest the money into. Uh, and I like to think of it in terms of the gears in a vehicle. You know, you can think about cash. You know, let's start with cash. Cash is sort of the, the first gear. If you think about a vehicle, it's it's typically low risk uh, and low return. Yes, there's also risk involved if you think about the African banks and so on of the world. Uh, but let's assume it's a low risk asset with a low return. I mean, currently in South Africa, you might get sort of a 4% return on your cash. Um, so that's for your, your shorter term money. Then second gear will be something like bonds. Uh, bonds is something like uh, typically like a 9% asset class. Uh, they can be capital movements, so it's a little bit more risky than cash. So that's sort of your two second gear on your vehicle. Uh, third gear, you can think of things like listed property. Uh, traditionally, it should be sort of a 12% asset class. We've obviously seen horrific, you know, horrific returns from property over the COVID period, but over the longer run, property, commercial property, listed property should be sort of a 12% asset class. So you can imagine that as third gear. Then there's things like hedge funds. We don't want, you know, don't have to go into too much detail. And then equity. I think someone that something everyone knows about equity and shares. That's your long-term asset. That's your fourth or your fifth gear. Uh, over the longer run, you can sort of expect, let's call it a 13% odd return over the long run. Uh, from something like that. But yes, the risk is, is higher. You have to understand volatility and you have to be able to hold that asset for five plus years. You know, if the markets are, are down as we've seen in COVID, you just need to be able to hold on to that asset and wait for that recovery. And that, that will come over time. So I think that's maybe just as a starting point, sort of a refresher. I mean, yes, there's obviously lots of other things. Uh, on people's lips at the moment, uh, cryptocurrencies and the incredible returns that people are, you know, enjoying over that and then the <laughs> incredible drawdowns again. But if we talk about, um, if we talk about traditional asset classes, that's the really, that's really the main spectrum, um, in South Africa and offshore. And that's really where your, your funds are invested at the end of the day. And, and once we understand that, all of these guaranteed returns of 30% plus, you know, it, it does put that uh, a little bit more into perspective. I really like the analogy you gave me of the gears of a car because I, I give a similar one of buying a Corolla 
but you've got a choice of different engines. Yours is just a lot easier and it makes a lot of sense. So, <laughs> yes, if you ever see me writing something with that thing, I plagiarize it from you. I'm just giving you up front so we read clear. Go for it. <laughs> Go for Thank it. You. But, again, if we look now, we are getting staggering returns. So the returns now have been unreal. And I remember, I'm sure you remember the, the time – I'm not exactly quite sure of the years. It was the 20, 2009, maybe to 2013, sort of that type of, where people were bonding their properties to put money into the equity markets. Mm-hmm. They, they too, you, you, you threw a dart at a, at a balance fund and you just made money. And then that's all come off. So what we often have at Hassles as investors is trying to understand is what is time? You know, you're saying that it's usually over a period of time. What is that period of time? If I'm looking, I'm a young person, I want to maximize my return, therefore I'm happy to take on risk within a legislated body of investments. What is time? Oh, thanks, Ivy. I think that's a great, great question. You know, I think what our, our philosophy at Citadel is if you look at your portfolio, the, the cash that you really need out of your portfolio, let's say over the next two years, we prefer to invest that in a, in quite a conservative manner, uh, cash-like. And the reason for that is, is, is what you alluded to now is let's say I want to buy a car one year from now. Um, let's just say it's 300,000 Rand and I put all of that money in the equity markets. Uh, then something happens, you know, fortunately it's, it's not going to be a Trump tweet anymore. That's, uh, that factor mm-hmm. has been, has been neutralized. But you know, the world is an uncertain place, you know, whether it's, whether it's COVID, whether it's China, US conflict, um, the uncertain happens all the time. So now I'm, I'm a week away from buying this, this precious car. I'm so excited. Uh, I, I look at my 300,000 and now it's 250,000 because there was a short term dip in the market and I'm forced to sell that. Uh, 250,000 and I can't buy the vehicle that I want to buy. So, so that's hence, hence the philosophy. Cash you need within the next two years, uh, rather invest that bit more conservatively. Cash that you need from your portfolio over the next, let's call it three years thereafter. It makes sense to have sort of a medium risk environment there. I think you touched on things like balanced funds or maybe in the discussion before we, we, we jumped on, but something like a balanced fund, you know, sort of a medium risk profile where you, you need to start beating inflation. You can't put all of it in cash, but but again, you don't want to expose completely to the equity markets. If there's a big pullback, uh, you don't want to be forced to sell out at those low prices. I mean, we all know the, the good old faithful saying in investments, as long as you can leave your money in the markets, it will recover over time. Uh, we've seen it now during COVID. I mean, with massive stimulus, there was a, a rapid bounce back. And if you're only able to hold on, um, you should in over time recover. And then back to your question, when it comes to equities, uh, shares, direct equity holdings, we typically recommend a, a holding period of sort of six, seven years longer. Um, so the money that you need to withdraw from your portfolio, whether it's for monthly needs or you need to buy that car or that overseas trip, if it's sort of seven years plus from now, you're saving for your kids' education, they're still very young, it makes sense to expose it to the equity markets. Uh, if there's a big drawdown, historically equity markets uh, will recover if you give it sort of six, seven, eight years longer. It's been staggering the fast uh, recovery after COVID, and we can talk about that if you want to, uh, but it's really a, a function of extreme stimulus, and let's just call it what it is, money printing, <laughs> um, and just a massive amount of cash flowing into the markets. People are buying equities with that cash because they, they can't really get any returns on their cash and bonds globally. 
And that's really pushed up the, the markets very fast. I mean, I talk about a, a seven, eight year recovery, you know, as you've seen it in the past and we've seen a rapid bounce back this time around. Um, but it is unfortunately in a big part, uh, simply a matter of massive, massive amounts of uh, stimulus. Um, and the question uh, remains how, how sustainable that will be. Uh, over the long term and when the actual economy will start to grow. It's not just, you know, cash being flushed into the system and pushing up prices. Now, Pierre, just before I get on to the actual um, nuts and bolts of a Ponzi scheme and how it works, because it's a term we use that we throw around, um, but I think we've all been exposed to something similar, you know, in our lifetime. Just interesting, yesterday I was sitting with a client and looking at his portfolio where he invested a lump sum about two and a half years ago, and then he invested a recurring amount exactly at the same time almost with identical funds. The asset location was slightly different. The difference in returns over the period of time has been 3.5%. And I said to him, you know, it's incredible to see people like you who increased their monthly um, contribution when the market was down. Yeah. And now it's come to, to bear fruit. 3% on a large amount of money is a significant amount of money. Yeah. And that simply returned because he had the guts to put it in when everybody else was running away. So yeah. please, those of you who just thought you poured bad, good into bad, make sure you look at it. And again, as things are transparent and clear and upfront, you should be fine. Pia, yeah. bottom line is, what is a Ponzi scheme? If you and I were going to start one, what, did we yeah. need, what do we need to do? What, what, what message do we need to put out there? Yeah. Thanks, Avi. I think it's a great question. And because I think there's different... There's different shades of uh, challenges, I guess, that in, in investors face. You know, and I think if I maybe before I answer that question, I think maybe just as a backdrop, I think before it even comes to a complete Ponzi and a complete illegitimate scheme, I think other things that, that investors should look out for is just um, it's just fine print. I think you know in the article I mentioned uh, fairly recently, uh, there were some big institutions in South Africa advertising a 13% return on your investment with a little asterisk next to it. And if you go and read the fine print, it says if you hold on to this investment for five years, then you will have an average return of th- So it's compound interest, you know, so it's, um, it's being marketed as a 13% annual return investment, which is, which is false marketing. So it's not a illegitimate business. Uh, they're just not using a very ethical marketing. So you get, you get that. Yeah, sorry, um, to, ju- to jump in there one second. If I had one rand for every phone call I received on that ad, on that ad, <laughs> you okay. and I could go and have the best lunch we could imagine. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and, and if people call you accusing you, so if they, if they bold enough to put it up in a billboard, what, a, why, why am I not there? So, yeah. yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you for clearing that. Yeah. So I think that's maybe a first. We're going to, be, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the unregulated stuff, but I think it's very important for investors to know there's, there's, there's regulated products out there where it's literally uh, false marketing, uh, where there's not enough information disclosed. And it's very important to, to read the, those fine prints, discuss it with a reputable financial advisor before you compare it apples with apples, you know, with, with another investor. So that's sort of the one, the, the first step. Uh, the second step I would say would also be regulated products. But where the risk is quite high. So you, you, you get quite a few regulated products where quite high returns are promised, but it's important to understand the downside. You know, the, those upside returns are often made possible with uh, derivatives. So with futures and options. And again, it's very important for the investor to understand if, if there's talk about a 20, 30% return based on 
regulated products, uh, it might often be because of very high leverage and what, you know, the upside will also be true for the downside. So, so yes, it might be nice to, to punt for a 30% return with, with very, very high risk, but are you willing to, to, to face a 30% or a 50% drawdown if it doesn't work out? So that's, that, that's also something to look out for. Uh, and then probably I'll be to answer your question to, to go into the, into the Ponzi arena. I think just to, I just want to flag again what you said because it's so crucial. Um, I think the, because I think the catch is often advisors who seem reputable, you know, they, they might even be, um, they might be accountants or tax experts or lawyers. Uh, but important to note is that someone who gives advice on a financial product must be qualified and registered to do that. It doesn't matter what other skills they have or if they use big financial words. You know, I've, I've sat across the table. Uh, with some of these fraudsters, uh, someone who defrauded a client of mine in the past, and it's fascinating how convincing these guys are. So just to echo again what you said, Avi, uh, the, the business you are dealing with must be a registered financial services provider, according to the FASE Act. The advisor who is a representative of that business must be registered to give advice on that product. And even further, you know, if you can work with a certified financial planner, it just gives you that extra comfort to know into, that there's the competency and the ethics levels have, have, have been looked after. So that's just to echo you, Avi. And then I guess finally to answer the, the real question in terms of a Ponzi scheme, basically what these guys do and to keep it, I'll keep it short. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about, I mentioned sort of a 13% return on the stock markets over the long run. Basically what, what these guys do, let, let's take me and you, Avi. Let's say I'm the first, I'm the first lucky investor. I put my 100 Rand in the pot. They promised me a 30% return. So I want 30 Rand back at the end of this year. Let's say they take my 100 Rand and they put it in the equity market. So they get their 13 Rand. Now they need to find 17 Rand, you know, to make up my 30. Next in line is Avi. Avi gives his 100 Rand. Uh, he's very excited. Um, the only way they can give my 17 Rand back is to take Avi's capital. So, so Avi's 100 Rand is now 83 Rand. They took his capital. They gave it to me. I'm very happy. At the end of the year, I think, geez, I got my 30%. This is wonderful. I tell all my friends and my family about it. They jump into the pot. But obviously the problem is, you know, Avi's capital is down to 83 and they must give him 130 at the end of the year. So where do they get it? They get it from the next guy in line. So that's, that's basically how most Ponzi schemes work. So they, they use the capital of the, the, the next ones in line. And, and as long as this story and this illusion can continue, Everyone is happy, but obviously at some times, at some time the, the bubble burst and all the investors lose a very big portion or everything um, that they put in. And that, that's obviously how a lot of these Ponzi schemes operate. Yeah, the, 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 the scenario where somebody, you know, meets somebody else and they decide to go and give that person their money and invest in their, their money with that particular individual. Um, and it goes along well for a couple of weeks or a couple of years or for a period of time. Um, what are the legalities if someone has done that knowing that they're not a registered financial provider, they don't have an FSB license, whatever it's called, et cetera, et cetera, and they go ahead and they do it anyway. Um, yeah. And we all know that so long as things are good, everybody will be quiet. But when things start going pear-shaped, the calls are not answered and things are delayed, then all of a sudden you raise your head and you start crying foul. Yeah. Um, is is the do, do the those investors have any recourse, um, or was it simply an informed decision that they made and they need to look at it? Yeah. Look, I mean, one can one can try. You know, the 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 the, uh, 
the, the ombud, the financial ombud in South Africa. Uh, one can, one can definitely give that a go. Um, you know, naturally the, the outcome varies quite a bit. Um, so, I mean, that, that is something one can try to do. Um, but I think the best, best thing that we can do, I think is, I mean, it's also what you're doing exactly now in this conversation is just try to, let's just try to educate as many people possible. Let's educate our friends and our family. Um, and of course, I know the financial world can, can feel intimidating and there's big words. And that's why I think that explanation of the asset classes we talked about earlier, um, the basics of finance and, and of investing is not that difficult to, uh, to get our heads around. And it's so important for every investor before you put your hard earned money into any sort of investment, just to understand those basics, just to understand the, the actual funds that drives your return. Just look at the products, just read the terms and conditions. And I think with education, I think it can go such a long way. And when in doubt, um, ask advice, ask advice from a reputable advisor. And I think it will go, go, go so far, you know, to educate South Africa and educate our families because it's so sad. I mean, I mean you, you've, you've seen these things, they recur and it's, it's the same story over and over again. The company that's been dealt with is not registered. The advisor is not registered to give advice. So ask for that proof, you know, ask for that registration documents, their numbers, you know, just, um, Ask those questions and let's just yeah, educate you know, as much people as possible uh, because yeah, the names differ and the, and the schemes differ, but it's often the same type of theme. And if we can just ask those important questions, uh, I think a lot of that can be avoided. Yeah, sorry to cut you short, but uh, we've reached the end of our, our t- lots of time. Thank you so much. And people can get hold of you by just going to the Citadel website. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Right, that's Pierre Miller, advisory partner at, uh, at Citadel. Pierre, thank you, and thanks for putting it in so clearly. Everything of the best. Thank you so much. Thanks, Avi. Cheers, everyone.